Let's uh, read our text this morning. I'll keep you standing for that. Hear God's word this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest in the gathering the weeds you root up, the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it all was leavened. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels, and just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of our age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would uh, be with us this morning as we uh, look at your word and your parables here in the Gospel of Matthew. I do pray that you would... Give us ears to hear. Lord, we need your help for, those, for ears like that. So help us this morning, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do something in us, that you would transform us through your word. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes Advent feels like that awkward conversation. It's the one that like Chandler Bing wants to get out of by telling a joke. Like Advent's this interruption into the normal kind of rigmarole of church and life and it thrusts before us the coming of the Son of Man. And we're left like, does this really fit at this time of year during Christmas? Why now? And I think it fits even along the lines of questions that we ask in our life. Like those times when you're hopeful that God would show up and do something and he doesn't. Like many of you have asked that question. I've sat with you at different times in your life where that question 
was being asked, where is God? Why doesn't he do anything? In Matthew's gospel, what sets the stage for these parables is John the Baptist's disciples essentially asking Jesus this very question. Why do they ask it? Well, John sends them with the question, are you the one or should we expect another? And this gets at a little of something of our our Advent series. This Jesus defying expectations. John is called the forerunner of the Christ. He is the cousin of Jesus. He he leapt in his mother's womb at the news of Jesus' oncoming birth. He, He was a prophet spreading the news about the coming of this one Jesus. And Jesus will say in Matthew 11, there is no one born of woman that's greater than John. And yet, as he's sitting in prison, waiting to die, why aren't you going to do anything about this, Jesus? Now, tragedies happen. Brutality happens. Tyrants do their bidding. Oppressors crush. When you look at the life you are living here in Advent of 2022, where are you asking? Why aren't you doing anything? Now, for some of us, that could be the revisiting of the thing that we do during Advent here at City Press. We do a thing called the impossible prayer request. Like even the thought of the impossible prayer request and talking about it again can open up the wound and the wondering. There are these ways that we don't understand Jesus, ways that defy our expectations. And we're invited to pray for these things again that we've been praying for, or maybe things that we can't quite voice and we're invited into praying for, and it hits hits that nerve. It could be some issue beyond you, something cosmic. There's war going on in Ukraine. There's injustices in nations and states. It could be a loss that has continued to bubble over into a deeper, more static state of loss? Or maybe it's just something really personal. Some part of your story, some situation that showed up for you like a thief in the night, and now it's all you can think about. It's an unexpected guest of Advent. This late fall and early winter. And when your thoughts turn to Jesus like John, you wonder, are you the one or should we expect another? Because if you are the one, then why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you acting? You ask him again and again, where are you, God? Why are you silent? Why don't you stop in? Why don't you stop this? These are the questions John and his disciples are asking. It's also the questions that Israel's asking and Jesus' own disciples. When is the kingdom going to be, Jesus? When's Israel going to be reestablished? I mean, the exile is over. We've returned to the land. So we're keeping ourselves pure from the Gentiles and the other nations. So when are you going to visit us? And Jesus steps into that space and gives them a parable. Really? A parable? A pithy story? Where's the grand pronouncements? Where's the meat on the bone, Jesus? Like, tell us what to do. 
Give us marching orders. We're here. We're ready. Like rain down fire from heaven like Elijah and let's get this party started. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. And the enemy came along to his land and sowed weeds among the good seed. You see, sometimes God's sovereign rule isn't really straightforward. Now, would you like God to rule the world, your world, directly? Where every thought and action were weighed and instantly judged, and if necessary, then punished or rewarded on his scales of holiness. Now, I ask this, and if we're honest with ourselves, I think we might just say yes to that. We, we think if stopping something evil, such as genocide, meant stopping, uh, stepping in with judgment, then rebuke and restrain of every other evil impulse, including those that we have within us and cherish within us. But would we be prepared for such a cost? If we ask God to act on special occasions, do we suppose this is something he could do simply when we want him to, and then back off the rest of the time for all the rest of the stuff? Like, like fire for heaven, from, from heaven for, for them, and maybe even me sometimes, or, or not them in mercy for the rest. The, the parable of the weeds, the mustard seed, and the leaven are about an attitude of waiting and watching. And waiting and watching is where we sit with John and the disciples. So does this mean you're, you're the one? Or should we expect another? Like this is where a lot of our ideas about God, Jesus, the church, expectations, the Lord doesn't meet them. So we go about making something that meets them. Put this to the test in a, a, some other relationship. What do you do when a friend doesn't meet your expectations? A spouse, a child, a parent. What do you do? Are you patient and forbearing? Or do you demand, by manipulation or any other means, change in action? Jesus steps into this place and says... Have you planted anything? Now, some of you here have gardens, lush grass. Some of you get your hands in the dirt, or some of you pay for someone else to do it. But when you tear at the ground and dig in the dirt and plant, what do you do next? Well, you wait. And what happens when weeds grow in all the places you don't want them to? There's frustration. Weeds growing right there alongside the grass and the fruit and the vegetables. Weeds choking out the good. And if you don't deal with them, then they seem to come back up year after year in the next crop. The farmer isn't the only one who waits in our text. The birds do too. They wait for what? The mustard seed to grow into a shrub where they might find a home for them and their tiny offspring. During COVID, one of the ways I occupied the space of waiting was baking bread. And there was always a time for that bread to proof, for the leaven to fill the loaf and cause it to rise. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the disciples didn't want to be subject to such waiting. If the kingdom was present where Jesus was, coming to birth in what he was doing, then they wanted it full on. Come now, the choruses rang out. Hosanna, God save us now. 
They, nor the crowds, nor the Pharisees, were interested in God's timetable. They had a clock, and they wanted God to conform to it. How are we doing with that? What's your clock? How do you want God to conform to it? We're going to look at this text in three ways this morning. The first one, why are there weeds? The second, what should we do about our weed problem? And third, how can we do that? Why are there weeds? Verse 26, the servants come to the master. Master, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Why are there weeds? This is a crisis for the servants. They know what weeds can do to a harvest. And the master replies, well, because the enemy has sown them. And this gets at something um, in our problem for John, for the parable. If God is a God of love, where did all these weeds come from? Why is there so much evil? Now, where you locate evil is part of this. The field, according to our parable, is the world, the created space of the here and now. So we look out at our culture and maybe opine, why is there so much evil? You could find it in a news feed or in your neighborhood or in our city for sure, but evil isn't just there, right? It's also in my little home and in my own heart. And you might be haunted by that evil in your own thoughts, For the Jews of Jesus' day, the question is, if Jesus is Messiah, then how can his coming coincide with such evil? John's disciples are wondering this. If, If Jesus and belief in him as Messiah are the wheat of God, that is what Jesus will say. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. What is sown by the Son of Man, Jesus is growing a crop. He has sown seed of himself as the word, and that has created a crop of wheat. Why does the wheat get surrounded and infected by the weeds of unbelief and the unbelieving? Verse 28, the enemy. Jesus says later, the devil. The enemy comes and sweeps away the good seed on the path earlier in Matthew 13, and now spoils the sowing of the wheat with weeds. Friends, there is evil. There is an enemy of Jesus, the sower of the seed. Why all the weeds? The devil has sown them. Part point two, so what should we do about it? So do you want us to go and tear them out? This is the first present tense verb in the passage. The servants want to go right away into the field and rip out the weeds. But what is the warning? If you do this, you will root out the wheat too. Now, any, any farmer knows this is sort of like uh, messed up. And this is the unexpected piece of the parable. John is rotting in a jail cell. Aren't you going to do anything, Jesus? The Gentile Romans are making a mockery of us. Are you going to bring them down? The world's going to hell in the handbasket, so, so what are you going to do? The church is way too liberal. The church is really voting for him. What are you going to do? Like, we must be rid of this evil. We must rid the church of this weed. Those anti-God, anti-poor, anti-resistant, anti-order, we must get rid of them. Friends, we're zealous for getting rid of the weeds. Too many of us are ready, locked and loaded with our hose 
and our weed killer and our shovels and our weapons of agrarian warfare to rip apart any and all that might look like to us weeds. Too many of us care for clarification work. Let's, let's make sure who's in and who's out. Oh yeah, that's a weed. It's time to step into God's field and tear and pull apart whatever looks like one. The Pharisees were after the pagans and the Gentiles or compromised Jews. The, the zealots were after all those who aligned with the empire. The, the Sadducees were after all those who read the text of the Jewish scriptures so literally. All are zealous to do God's will, passionate for holiness, the purity of Israel. I mean, they were exiled for their impurity, after all. They were longing for God to act. They had made themselves ready to act alongside him in lieu of his apparent inaction. How much have we made ourselves ready to act in the place of our perceived inaction of God? Or better... How many of us are tired and worn out by the inconvenience of weeds? If I'm honest, my basic attitude towards anything that breaks in my home is an attitude of like, ugh, it's going to require something of me, some kind of regular maintenance. My attitude towards trees that need trimming, weeds that need digging, yards that need cleaning. And this is the disciples' problem as well. Why wait? Why tend? Why so? Can't we just assume the throne? Why all this talk of the kingdom of heaven being like a field or a seed or a bush or a loaf? Why are we waiting? But the kingdom of Christ has a campaign message. The kingdom doesn't come like this. Why? Because God isn't like this. And that leads to the last point. How can we do that? When there's all these weeds, how can we just let them grow together? Because that's what Jesus says in verse 30. Until the harvest and the weeds let them grow, are pulled, let them grow together. The unexpected mystery of the kingdom, that word, permit them, let them be, let them grow together. The verb has two meanings. One is to leave, to permit. The second is to forgive. Now, there's a lot to say here about this word in Greek, but if you were in church on the Lord's day, you came to the Lord's prayer, that word, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like hearing that word and then hearing something of uh, the malice of the enemy that might have grasped this uh, Holy Spirit pun, the, the malice, the evil, the badness that is really manifest in the real world in the lives of real people is not to be dealt with by attacking or abolishing the things or the persons in whom it dwells. Rather, it's to be dealt with by letting it be. And that is a type of forgiveness or suffering or permission all rolled into one. And what is the first objection to letting evil be? If you tell people in advance they will be forgiven, they will take that as a permission to sin. They'll take advantage, in other words. One current Twitter uh, theology debate about our current moment 
if you are a sower of letting it be and forgiveness, if you live winsomely in a world of both wheat and weeds, then evil will be crouching at your door, taking away your rights. There will be no way for you then to winsomely let it slide. Now, don't miss this. The field is the world. The sower of the good, uh, the sower sows the good seed. The wheat and the uh, the, the wheat and the enemy, uh, the the enemy sows the weeds, and God says to let them grow up together, and wait, and give permission. That's a hard word, friends. Waiting, suffering. Suffering the wheat and the weed existing together in the same field? There isn't another field, mind you. There isn't a second field to buy and protect the one from the weeds. Now we can maybe chat more about the church here, but Jesus says, let the wheat and the wheel, uh, the wheat and the weeds grow up in the field together and don't try to pull them up. Because if you do, you'll tear up some of the wheat as well. Jesus is unapologetic in referring the disciples to what? His second coming and all that follows. That there is a harvest and there is judgment. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't deny judgment, but he knows that our hearts are way too fast to get there. And when we suffer the weeds of others, the weeds in our own hearts even more so, And mind you, suffering includes even the most minor of conveniences, especially if we've zeroed into them as weeds or even weed-like. And the heart of the parable is the patient ways of the Lord and the call for the servants to wait and to watch for the patient God to do his work. Now, this is meekness, by the way. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. The meek are those who don't use the force of their wills, bodies, minds, to make things happen. Instead, they wait on the Lord to do so. And this is why they inherit the earth, because the zealous would let the earth burn, so there's no earth left. Now, make no mistake, the weeds uh, are not the way. But declaring the harvest too soon means the destruction of the wheat right alongside the weed. In Galilee, the roots of the wheat were more shallow than the roots of the weed. They were weaker. And this is why Jesus doesn't take up and free John from jail. There's there's something greater going on, and it's unexpected. And it's bound up in meekness, strength restrained, disguised and dressed in the cloak and shroud of weakness. What do you think the world, the flesh, and the devil thought about a Jesus who dies on the cross instead of nuking his enemies? And what about a Christian charged to forgiving that punk of a brother 70 times 7? Won't they just take advantage of Jesus? And Jesus on a cross looks at those same punks and cries out to the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And what is further, when Jesus is raised and 40 days later ascends with scars in his hand inside, what is most real? That Jesus continues to sow his seed right alongside the evil one and call for the church to let them be. Why? Because for Jesus, the weeds can do nothing about what he's done and is doing. And then Jesus gives two more parables, right? What do we do about the weeds? How are we to live like this? 
He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed sown and planted in the world. The mustard seed is small. It takes 750 of them to measure out to one gram. The seed is then hidden to the, in the earth. That's the same word used there as sown. The, the small seed is hidden in the earth, and then it grows into something bigger than all the other vegetables in the garden. It becomes so tall that it becomes a tree where the birds of heaven can make their nest. What is, Jesus says, the kingdom of Jesus seems so small, so hidden, but when it's sown, hidden in the earth, it becomes a lush tree that the world can find a home in. And then Jesus says, the kingdom is like a woman who hides a yeast in three measures of flour until the whole is leavened. Now, three measures of, is a bushel of flour. Now, this isn't me making two sourdough loaves during COVID. It's 128 cups, 16 five-pound bags, 42 cups of water, and 101 pounds of dough. And the whole of this is leavened. The lump is the world. The hiding of the yeast in the dough Seeds disappear in the ground. And if you wanted to, you could, you could go up out. If you planted a seed, you could go out into, the, into your garden and you could dig them up. But if you put yeast in dough, can you separate it? No. Yeast enters into the dough. It's dissolved in the liquid that makes the dough become dough. There is not one moment once it enters the dough that it's unleavened again. Once the yeast is in the dough, it is such an intimate part of the lump It's to be indistinguishable from it, undiscovered in it, irretrievable out of it. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, enters the world like that. And it has never not been in the world. This is what the kingdom is like, and it's doing its work. And as we sit in the time of the kingdom, in a mystery that's being made manifest... And the point Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us is let the kingdom do its thing. Be patient. God is at work even when you can't see. Be discerning. What are the ways of God in the world? Well, from these parables, what you see, it's small, seemingly weak, upside down to right side up, like dying means living kind of things. Like during Advent, I find myself often uh, listening to Bob Dylan. This morning I was listening to these times, they are a-changing. If you've heard that song, it's basically a riff on Mary's Magnificat, which is something we recite during Advent. And I think it cues us into a way to discern the kingdom. The last line is drawn, the curse is cast, the slowest now will later be fast, as the presence now will later be past, the order is rapidly fading. And the first one now will be the later be the last because the times they are changing. The kingdom is sown into the world as yeast fills dough. So too will the kingdom be. So live in that reality. Be discerning that that's how the kingdom works in this world. Hidden, sown, a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying is what bears much fruits and be watchful, vigilant. I think mostly in this scene, watchful is an attitude of a heart 
that doesn't, uh, that w- doesn't want to give this permission, to, that doesn't want to let the weeds be weeds, and thinks that the kingdom can't be sown in the world. I mean, look around. Look around. Negative responses and resistances to the ways of the kingdom. I think our eyes are often drawn to those things. But what Jesus wants his disciples to be is be vigilant to that attitude of the heart that doesn't see the kingdom at work, that is um, a bit cynical about Jesus and his kingdom, to draw those things out of our own hearts and instead look into our world with hope of what the kingdom can accomplish, that the yeast will, in fact, lighten the dough. How? How does yeast lighten the dough? It, it fills it with a thousand tiny pockets of air. And how does it rise? Through heat. The master of the kingdom operates through the warm breath of God. The Father breathes out his word into the world, spoken according to the Bible in the divine word that is Jesus, right? Jesus brings the world into existence out of nothing. Under the guidance of the Spirit, it proceeds from the Father. He's the Word made flesh and dwells among us, we're told in the Gospels. Jesus will breathe out his Spirit on his disciples after his resurrection. He sends his Spirit upon the church like a mighty rushing wind. And what does the church then do? They announce it. They announce it. They announce it into the world. It pleased God by the fullness of preaching to save them that believe. That's how we do it. And the heat of suffering. The church is a witness to a Christ that suffers and dies and is called to follow Jesus into suffering and dying. And all of this points to the end of the parable. How can we do this? How can we meekly sit back and let weeds and wheat grow together? How can we wait When we so wish God would do something, how can we discern our hearts that so desperately want to tear up the field, especially when we suffer for it? God doesn't give you any easy answers here, friends. He says, you wait. You wait. You, you, You see the delay of God's judgment means mercy for more to come in be saved. And the wonder of the church is that some weeds sown among good seed of the wheat is that the good seed might overcome and transform the field. And this is the tension of the kingdom of God. It's arrived through the work of Jesus. It's here now in full fullness, but it isn't bang and poof. There it is. It's slow. It's the growth of a mustard seed. It's the leavening of a bread. It's the slow cooking of a brisket. It's, is it a cop-out? Is God's mercy just licensed for more evil sown? Why is God delaying? We're not given straight answers to that here other than what Jesus says at the end, right? What does he say as we finish the parable? Jesus says, there is a harvest and the son of man will come. And those who cause others to stumble and the lawless will be swept away. And the wheat will be gathered, and they will shine like suns in the kingdom of their Father. God says to wait. There will be justice. Evil will get its due. But definitive answers must wait till that end. 
And now we wait and we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. And the story of Jesus is the display of God's caring love. Now think about this. How long did it take for Jesus? At Advent, we entered into the Christmas story, right? Jesus coming as a baby. How long did it take for that to kind of see some kind of fruition? Well, at least 30 years. I mean, we celebrate the Advent and the birth of Jesus, and then we wait 30 years for the baby to grow, for Jesus to learn, develop, apprentice in a human enterprise before he's launched into the world in public ministry. Where were you 30 years ago? Where were you? What were you doing? There's secrecy and hiddenness about what Jesus did where he was. And then he comes out publicly and there's all this announcing of don't tell anyone else about this. It isn't my time. And all the while, all the while that's going on, what is Jesus doing? He's battling evil. He's overcoming demons, sickness and disease. He's confronting the powers and the authorities and the religious leaders who were out there in the field with hands full of dirt and weeds and bushels of wheat in their purifying zeal, right? And all of this in the ministry of Jesus would lead to the public shame and spectacle of a trial and a charge and beatings and scourgings and nakedness on a cross where everyone turns their face away And they thought it was a curse, but the reality was it was the acting arm of God that would ultimately deliver and overthrow the enemy. And who we who live after this event, after the vindicating work of God on the cross and resurrection, know that God did indeed act suddenly and dramatically in those days. When we long for God to act, When we long for God to put the world to rights, we have to remind ourselves that he has acted in the cross and by his resurrection. And just like the disciples, we are waiting for the outworking of those events. And the call is to patience, like our God and our King. Not wanting, not waiting in the dark, with a candle as our only comfort, wondering if anyone will come. No, we look to Christ who's come, who's died on a cross and was raised. And we wait like people in the early morning. The sun has arisen. We are waiting and watching for the full brightness of midday. I love Robert Capon. He says the following, trusting that the power of the word who breathed out life for us on the cross, by the might of him who in the glory of his resurrection forever whispers our reconciled names into the Father's ear. We are as good as baked to perfection right now. We have been accepted in the beloved. The only real development left for us is to experience the final accolade to be spoken over us by the divine baker. And we wait till that day, until that word is spoken, until all evil gets swept away. That is the hope of Advent. 
And it is not easy, friends. The tension is deep for us. And yet, God offers it up once again to us. He says, look to the cross, look to the resurrection of Jesus, and wait. So as you sit here this morning, as you're hoping for God to do something in you, to rescue you, to deliver you, Jesus still speaks to you. Look to Christ, the cross, the resurrection, and the hope of what that means in the end. And wait. And discern as you wait. Because the kingdom looks small, buried, hidden. It's at work, even though you can't see it. It's yeast and dough doing its thing. You can't separate it out anymore. But don't go tearing up the weeds with the wheat. Wait. Watch. The Lord is working and he will work. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would um, remind us of the the reality of your working in the world because I, I think many of us this morning do feel like John and his disciples whether it's sin that beats us up and plagues us, whether it's uh, our world, whether it's the devil, we feel the pain and the birth pains of your kingdom coming. And we don't always know what to do. We don't always know how to wait. And yet you continue to just offer to us the story of your son who came as a baby, who was hidden, and even when made public, confronted the powers and ultimately went to the cross for us. And you, cause us to, you call us to look upon him and wait. And then to kind of rehearse it again for us in our own lives, both as a church collectively and the story of the church, but also in our own individual lives. So we pray that you would help us to do that, God, by the power of your spirit. Remind us this morning that your kingdom is at work. It's been sown into this world, and nothing can stop it from taking its root in this world and delivering it, making it new. And that's what we long for at Advent that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus, that you would finish the work that you've begun and that you would bring us to the place where we shine like uh, stars in your universe. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.